Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today. And Jay, it's unfortunately not a victory Monday. However, there's still quite a few positives to take away from yesterday's game against the Titans. So how are you doing? Ready to talk some Jaguar football? Uh, Yeah, I'm good, man. Um. You know, of course, losing to the Titans is uh, never easy, you know, and I mean, losing in general is is not an easy thing to deal with. I guess you could say like here at this podcast, we're kind of used to that. Uh, but nonetheless, like this is the first time we've lost a game and have come away with it uh, with hope, especially against the Titans. Uh, normally, these are blowouts, you know, normally it's, it's, you know, a little bit hard on the eyes and so on and so forth. Uh, but this week it's not the case and like you know uh it's not such a i know it's no such thing as like moral victories but it's not as much of a depressing loss it was a close game uh and i I think the reason for that is because you know with a few cleanups here and there we feel like this team is actually uh there's hope for this team for for a change which is something we haven't been able to say for a very long time and you know i kind of alluded to it on uh twitter i actually uh quoted a tweet from dilla but I think what it is, is we've seen enough bad football to see that this loss, while it's a loss to the Titans at that, uh, is one that you still can say, you can look at this roster and say, look, oh my God, we have a foundation that we can move on and build on from and so on and so forth. And it's easier to move past a loss, even if it's against the Titans uh, when you have that. So from that perspective, man, like I'm still kind of excited to talk about what we saw on the field and. Uh, so on and so forth, even though I've only watched the game take one time, which was the initial time. But still, uh, we're going to make it interesting for the people. Glad to be back. And uh, yeah, can't wait to move on to the Dolphins after this podcast. Yeah, that's right. guys. plenty to talk about as far as yesterday's game. So we're going to get right into it here in just a moment. Really quick, we do just want to say if you are enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, rate and subscribe. We really appreciate it. If you don't follow me on social media, um, you uh, you didn't get a chance to see my post from earlier today, but Jay and I are just overwhelmed with the numbers from this month. It's, they're the highest that they've ever been since we joined the network, and that's really, really awesome. So thank you so much. One of the best ways to support us is heading over to Apple Podcasts and dropping that review, but also subscribing on all of your favorite podcast directories, which, of course, includes Apple Podcasts, but also Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. And as always, this show is brought to you by our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Uh, they are your online sportsbooks experts. So if you guys do want to learn more about BetOnline, make sure to check out our episode later in the week, where, as Jay mentioned, you know, we are going to be talking about the Miami Dolphins, and we are working on getting a Miami Dolphins guest for Behind Enemy Lines this week. but. That being said, let's get right into the box score here, Jay. You know, as mentioned, a lot of really positive takeaways. Gardner Minshew 
didn't have, of course, quite the perfect game that he did last week. He struggled as far as a couple of turnovers. Uh, he did have a, uh, a muffed snap as well, but he did finish 30 of 45, 339 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions. James Robinson continuing to impress in his rookie campaign, got his first 100 yard rushing game as well as his first touchdown, 16 carries, 102 yards and a touchdown. LaVisca Chenault continues to be the jack of all trades for the team. Five carries for 37 yards, uh, as well as three catches for 35 yards. So they continue to move him around, which is exactly what we expected when we spoke with our guys over at Believe in Titans just last week. DJ Chark, four catches, 84 yards. Keelan Cole, six catches, 58 yards. Jay, I think you mentioned this while we were watching the game. I believe you may have even tweeted it out. Keelan Cole is making a case to stick around for the long term here in Jacksonville. We'll get to that here in just a moment. Getting a lot of uh, a lot of production out of those tight ends. James O'Shaughnessy, four catches for 40 yards. Tyler Eifert, three catches for 36 yards, as well as his first touchdown as a Jacksonville Jaguar. Chris Conley also got involved. Uh, Chris Thompson got his first touchdown catch as a Jaguar, three catches, 20 yards, as well as a touchdown. Offensively, they, they look pretty good. Uh, this is a team, I think, even just a couple of years ago, I tweeted this out the other day. If the Jags had gone down 14 to nothing to the Tennessee Titans in Nashville, I would have turned the game off with if Blake Bortles were their quarterback just a couple of years ago. But with the way that this team is constructed now and the weapons that they have, uh, Jay, I was pretty impressed with the way that they were able to fight back. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, this team is more resilient than the ones we've seen in the past. And that's crazy because the teams we've seen in the past have been more experienced uh, than the the teams that or, or the team that we have now again. Uh, the initial roster was the age of uh, average age of 24.9. Uh, and they had 16 rookies on their uh, week one active roster. Then on their week two active roster or going into the week one game against the coast, they added two more from practice squads. So you're looking at approximately in these two games that they've played, you know, you're looking at 17 to 18 rookies that have been on the field or, or probably have been active, which uh, that's, that's crazy to say. When you look at the resilience and their ability to come back, and I think that's kind of a testament of what we've seen out of Gardner Minshew last year for the most part. Now, there were some games where the Jags got blowed out and um, they weren't able to come back from. But for the most part, when the Jaguars went down, you know, you could always say that, uh, you know, Gardner Minshew kept them in the game or could bring them back uh, from a deficit. When a quarterback could always keep you in the game and you can look at a quarterback and say, hey, we can win with this guy. That's huge. That's huge. That's a luxury the Jacksonville Jaguars have never had in terms of recent history. You know, with Blake Bortles, it was always, oh, we have to play with the lead type of thing, you know, and the defense has to cause all of these ridiculous amounts of turnovers and we need to get points from the defense, this, that, and the other. Uh, but, you know, with Gardner Minshew, you don't get that sense. And, I mean, specifically, when you look at the first quarter, I think they were down, what, 14 to zero? You know, like you said, like most people, would be like, this is it under Blake Borders or even Nick Foles probably for that matter because, you know, he didn't look all that impressive aside from like his initial drive against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but yeah, you look at that game and start to think like, especially with their history in Nashville, you would look at that drive or that, that first quarter and say, man, this is not looking good. But to uh, Gardner Minshew's credit, and this has been the second time he done it because uh, last week, I think against the Colts as well, they started out kind of slow as well that Gardner Minshew has brought this team back in terms of the plays he he made 
or, or the important plays. And it wasn't just him, of course. It was James Robinson and so on and so forth, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but, you know, there were the crucial mistakes, but I don't want people to look at those as backbreaking mistakes because if you look around this this team in general, and we'll talk about this, uh, there were mistakes made on all aspects of the game. That's offense, special teams, and defense, and coaching-wise as well. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective, you know, you it's easy to pinpoint the few mistakes that Gardner made, which were two interceptions that say, hey, you know, that cost them the game. But, you know, you also got to look at it from a perspective of the failed squib kick. That was, you know, that that gave the Titans three points uh, that they want to have. Uh, they wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, and that's how much they won the game by was a three point margin. You could blame it on that if you want to. So you could say maybe it falls on special teams and we'll get on the defense as well. You could say maybe it falls on them. You're not as a defense. You can't allow a team to score 33 points or 30 points or whatever the case may be and expect to win. Like, you know, it's just going to be an uphill battle for Gardner Minshew, and he's going to be in these shootouts if they continue to allow that amount of points. Um, but back to Minshew in the offense, uh, he got a significant hand from uh, James Robinson, as you said, over 100 yards this time around, uh, over six yards per carry. He was explosive. We saw the explosiveness. We saw the burst out of him. That was good. Got his first touchdown. And coincidentally, it happened in Nashville against the Jaguars' most despised rivals. So that's something he can always hold on for the rest of his life. But not to harp on him because we've talked on James Robinson a lot. Uh, but, you know, you just see the explosion when he gets from uh, when he gets to that first level to the second level. Uh, you continue you continue to see the vision as well. Uh, you continue to see him um, bring this physical mentality, which we all We've gone regrown accustomed to with Doug Marone and company. And we've seen that in the past with Maurice Jones, Drew, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, you see all of these special traits out of him, man. You can't help but be excited about what he brings into the future. And then, like you were talking about, me and you discussed this before the uh, podcast, the ability of Gardner Minshew to distribute the ball. Like, every week, like, different people are getting their hands on the ball under Jay Gruden. Now, that's a testament to Jay Gruden as well. Uh, he's doing a good job on play calling, so we can't forget about him. He's an X factor and all of this, but you know, you see the ball being distributed and your top receivers getting three and four catches a piece, while nobody specifically has a hundred yards or whatever the case may be. Like everybody's getting about the same amount of touches. And another key factor that people miss was Jay Gruden implemented the deep ball more this time. We all we saw like the first week was a lot of short passes and whatnot, and you know, maybe that was by design, you know, to give the Titans something to uh, kind of cheat up for and, you know, kind of expect the short stuff and, and what have you. And then, you know, I mean, that's that's football for you. That's all in game planning. And when they're not expecting it, go over their heads to your deep threats like Keelan Cole and, and DJ Chark, as we saw. Uh, so look forward to that more being more so a thing later down the road is going to the deep threats because, you know, that is a strength of this team and so on and so forth. But the distribution was just honestly was great. And the, the game plan in general and the play calling was masterful. Um, And that's something we haven't seen in a very, very long time out of this team. And it's something we shouldn't take for granted. You know, like while the defense allowed this asinine amount of points, uh, you could also say that had they had a, a defense uh, that was uh, that put up enough of a fight on the other side of the ball that 
the offense definitely could have won this game with the efforts that they put forth. And I could definitely say I would agree with that, albeit, you know, the mistakes that the offense made, you shouldn't overlook them. But typically, I mean, like you look at that performance the offense gave us and you look at the next few games that's on the Jaguars uh, schedule, you can look at each game and say the offense's performance this week against the Titans, that will get the job done against the Dolphins. That will get the job done against the Bengals. That will get the job done against X, Y, and Z on this schedule. So for me, it really boils down to like the defense not really giving them a hand and that crucial special teams play, uh, which I've already mentioned. Right, and a really good point there. You said it right there at the end. This offensive performance should be more than enough to beat a team like the Miami Dolphins, who have seemed to struggle here in the first couple of weeks. And of course, both teams are coming off of a short week. Uh, Jacksonville does seem to play pretty well on Thursday nights. If you look at history, at least over the last couple of weeks, of course, last year was kind of like the arrival of Minshew mania, which is what we talked about when we had Davey and Denard on. Um, so yeah, that was uh, it was, it was really fun to watch. Like we're not really used to seeing that. Uh, I guess we've, we've gotten a little bit used to it with Minshew at the helm, but just overall as a team, you know, it kind of brought you back to back to that 2017 season where they did have those really good offensive outputs and it was just really fun to watch. And, you know, we were on our on the edge of our seats. Of course, you always want to come away with a victory. But for them to perform that way in Nashville was a really, really big deal. Um, you know, you do obviously want to look at the defensive side of things. And, you know, we spent a lot of time here in the beginning talking about the offense. But we do want to move to the defense because, you know, there are some things that we are a little worried about. Now, of course, Ryan Tannehill early on, at least for the, through these first couple of games, is looking like he has he's definitely found his spot where he belongs and finally gotten into his groove. Of course, you know, coming off of last year, people were wondering, was he going to be able to continue that? And especially early on, Jay, he carved up this defense. He finished 18 to 24, 239 yards and four touchdowns, pretty much moving the ball up and down the field whenever he wanted to. Now, if, if I told you, Jay, over the weekend, we were going to hold Derrick Henry to 25 uh, to 84 yards on 25 carries. You probably would have said, well, we must have won that game, but that was not the case. So they, they seem to, and, and I think you mentioned this in the article, uh, the predictions article that went up right before the game where Dilla tweeted out the stat about how he does seem to struggle against the team early on in the season. And that is exactly what we saw again. Um, as far as the receivers numbers, nothing really, really stood out other than, you know, of course, John New Smith, four catches, 84 yards, two touchdowns, but he definitely enjoyed playing against the defense. Adam Humphreys, five catches, 48 yards, as well as a touchdown. And so, you know, the Titans did, were able to move the ball pretty well up and down the field. Now, as far as the defensive side of things, you know, we did have Miles Jack totaled 11 tackles, six solo. Uh, Joe Schobert seemed to play much better here in week two. I think we're going to see that more and more as time goes on throughout the entire season, as he gets a little bit more comfortable in this defense. Dewey uh, seems to have lost his appeal in the fan base. Uh, he was getting <laughs> roasted pretty bad over on Jaguar Twitter. Uh, he's really kind of in an unwinnable spot there, in in my opinion. CJ Henderson played pretty well uh, as well. You got a, a, some production at a Godsis. You saw here and there some really, really good plays on the defensive line, I think from Avery Jones. Devon Hamilton, I think, played pretty well. Caleb on Chason got his first sack. Uh, one thing that does worry me is is Josh Allen, Jay. And, and we talked about this going into the season. A team's just going to be able to key in on him. And while I have not been able to go back and look at the tape, we haven't really heard his name much at all. He, he has had, I believe, a few quarterback pressures, at least 
throughout these first couple of games, but we haven't really heard his name quite that much. So looking at the defensive side of things, you know, definitely a lot to work on. Yeah, yeah, you're right. A lot to work on. Um, again, allowing 33 points and some of it, again, is it, that falls on special teams as well for putting them in a bad situation there. But yeah, allowing 33 points in general, or I guess you could say we'll just put 28 of them on the defense just for the sake of this. Uh, you know, that's still not good because, again, like, again, you're just putting Minshew in these situations where he has to fight in a shootout. And, um, you know, we don't want to get accustomed to that in the season or in the, uh, for the rest of the regular season. But, um, yeah, like you said, Dewey Wingard, obviously, you know, they saw that as a mismatch. And he's a guy that, uh, you know, we were happy about his performance last week. But I think what we're seeing with Dewey is that he is uh, mostly – suited for to be a special teams player and there's nothing wrong with that and that's not a knock on him but in terms of being a starter defensively at safety on the NFL level uh it hasn't been pretty for him um I think he started in what three or four games last year uh because of some injuries or, or what have you um to Ronnie Harrison maybe it was if I can recall and even then it wasn't pretty you know but you know if you need a guy that can spot you a few plays like he did last week basically on defense uh, you know, you got a guy that, you know, could do that, you know, fill in a few plays for you. But, you know, where Dewey Wingard is going to make his money is as a special teams player. And he'll probably be a phenomenal special teams player that, you know, he could be probably, you know, he has captain like potential for a special teams uh, unit. But again, on defense, as we saw, uh, it's not going to be pretty if the Jacksonville Jaguars have to keep trotting him out there. Maybe they look um, and Dilla kind of talked about this but maybe they look for a trade or something at that you know position um I wouldn't rule it out I think it's definitely worth looking into um right now if you ask me who's available I can tell you I have to research all of that and you know potential guys they could get but uh I could see the Jacksonville Jaguars actually considering that because as we said uh Wilson's gonna be out for at least what two more weeks um, but at the same time, I can also see the Jacksonville Jaguars staying put with Dewey for this reason. Uh, while Wilson is gone for the next two weeks or whatever the case may be, it may be longer if the hamstring injury uh, continues or it's something that lingers. But you look at the next two opponents and the Jacksonville Jaguars probably feel like they could get away with Dewey Wingard against the Dolphins and probably get away with playing him against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, ultimately, time will tell if that you know, it's the case and it actually works, but they might feel that way and they may feel like they can hold off until Wilson gets back. But uh, that's something to keep your eye on that position and his performance because uh, it was not pretty. And I'll have to look back at his PFF grade, um, but I'm sure it probably wasn't all that good. Yeah, in terms of Josh Allen, you're right. I mean, that's something I suspect, uh, you know, I kind of expected and I kind of alluded to it. You know, at first I was kind of high on him getting 16 or so sacks and then when I began to look at it and when I looked at the losses of Rodney Gunter and looked at the loss of uh, Al Woods, I was like, oh, you know, he's going to have a young crew on the field with him. And he's still a developing player himself. And that is sometimes not a good uh, recipe for success. As we've seen, the Jacksonville Jaguars only have what is it? I think it's two sacks on the season. And one is because Jacoby Brissett tried a trick play and Miles Jack caught him in the backfield. The other one was, of course, Caleb on Chason, who got his first uh, sack. Shout out to him. And uh, hopefully he'll keep developing and provide that help that Josh Allen needs down the road. But again, going back to what Dilla was saying, like they need one more marquee lineman, probably, 
it feels like, especially in the interior, a guy that has experience. And I thought about it today. You know, if had the Jacksonville Jaguars known that they couldn't fix things with Yannick and Gakwe, they probably would have kept Calais Campbell looking back at this, you know, but I know that's a lot of hindsight stuff, but maybe they were looking into the future and this is not to make excuses for them. But again, when you're dealing with the, the uh, recklessness that shot Khan or uh, that Tom Coughlin had on the salary cap in 2017 and 2018, uh, you know, the repercussions of that is like, you can't hold on to veterans for three years or four years, especially when you're losing games with those veterans. And, Unfortunately, Calais Campbell was a casualty of that. But again, like if you erase Yannick and Gakwe's uh, salary on the franchise tag off of the books and the Jaguars knew that they were going to end up having to trade him, they probably would have ate um, Calais Campbell's $15 million and kept him on his team. And what a difference that would have made. But that's neither here or neither there. And that is in the past. And uh, (laughs) there's nothing we could do about that as he's playing well in Baltimore last time I checked. So. Um, and, and one thing, other thing on Josh Allen, again, I'll have to look at the tape, but the Jacksonville Jaguars were so committed to stopping the run, it appears. Maybe that is impacting Josh Allen's ability as a pass rusher, that they focus so heavily on the run. They focus so heavily on stopping Derrick Henry. And this is not to make an excuse, but all I'm saying is, you know, maybe that's a reason that he's been kind of slowed as a pass rusher. But the good thing is, and the good news is, And this is not that we're overlooking the Miami Dolphins because at the end of the day, we're a Jacksonville Jaguars franchise. They can't overlook anybody and haven't won a lot of games over the past few years. But looking ahead Thursday, he does play against a Miami Dolphins team that and I wrote about this in our USA Today uh, paper article that is going to come out on the news weekly. So pick that up off the shelves this week, y'all. But He's going against a team that the last time Josh Allen saw this Miami Dolphins team and the starters on that Miami Dolphins out offense, he demolished them, if you all can recall. And that was that, albeit it was a preseason game. He did see time against the starters there, if I can recall. And that was that night game that came on, uh, I think it was Fox primetime that night. And um, that was the game that Josh Allen had emerged that preseason. I don't know if you can remember that one, Phil, but he had like this a ridiculous amount of stops in the backfield and so on and so forth. The team he's going to see or the offensive line he's going to see this time is arguably younger than that one that struggled against him. They had more experience on that line with the starters. This team has Austin Jackson starting a rookie who they took, uh, I think it was 19th overall or something before Chase on. He's starting at left tackle. Uh, they also have somebody I'm f- um, fairly familiar with, Solomon Thomas or Solomon Kinley, I'm sorry, starting at guard from the University of Georgia. So you got two rookies on this line. And you you can see why they are struggling to move the ball and run the ball like they want. Obviously, they want to run the ball because they got Matt Breida in free agency and uh, they got one more running back, Jordan Howard, in free agency. Obviously, that was their plan and it's not working. And I think Josh Allen can flourish against this line that has a rookie at left tackle. And, uh, you know, has a line that has not fared well. And by the way, they have Eric Flowers playing the other guard position. And last time I checked on PFF, he wasn't playing all that well. So you're looking at a line that's just struggling to get push. And that's a good thing for Josh Allen because he really made uh, Ryan Tannehill, if I'm not mistaken, or I'm sorry, Ryan Fitzpatrick, really miserable in that preseason game where the starters did start off the game. And, um, you know, he saw time against them. If there was ever a time for the defense to show out, it's definitely this Thursday. And, uh, you know, against a team that, as you, you just mentioned, 
all of those struggles right there that we've seen early on and an offensive line that is definitely very questionable and learning to gel. Uh, so you don't, you hope that you see some more out of Josh Allen. And then as you mentioned, hoping to see more development out of Caleb on chase on uh, really, really happy for him to get that first, to get that first sack. We will, of course, bring you a preview for that game here later on in the week, most likely Wednesday, since we do have a short week here uh, because of the Thursday night football game. want to move on to one more thing here, Jay, before we give away our game balls for the week, and that is Brandon Linder. And man, for for the NFL, it was just a tough day for injuries. Uh, Cortland Sutton now out for the year. Of course, Saquon Barkley, another big name. I believe it was it was Nick Bosa, correct? Yeah, Nick plays for the Niners. Yeah, Nick Bosa out. Uh, Solomon, Tom- Solomon Thomas got carted off. Uh, just a rough day in general. And then Brandon Linder for the Jaguars did miss most of the game. Now, he is going to be day-to-day, so he will not be going on IR. So, of course, we're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, in a tweet from Michael Duraco, he said, Jaguars coach Doug Marone said, team got good news about Brandon Linder's knee injury Sunday night. Linder will be day-to-day, will not have to go on IR. Marone, not sure about Linder's availability for Thursday's game against Miami. Uh, so, Jay, really quick, again, before we go on to giving out these game balls, you know, how do you think that does affect the team, at least in the short term? But it does sound like they were able to uh, avoid, you know, catastrophe from a guy who I believe we put on uh, one of Dave Caldwell's top five best draft picks, and it seems like he's finally getting a little bit out of respect uh, that he's deserved over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's funny you mentioned all of those injuries that happened because when halftime hit, I remember looking at and, and Brandon Linder hadn't gone down at that time. I remember, you know, like looking at all of the tweets and, you know, just looking at TV and looking at all the halftime shows and seeing all of the, the injuries and saying to myself, wow, the Jaguars are down this game and they have a deficit to make up. I was simply happy everybody went into the half uh, like healthy. And I don't know, like if anybody else registered registered that process of that mindset but for me I was just looking at like they had like this whole list of players that and specifically like you said in that 49ers game one that you didn't mention I think was Jimmy Garoppolo who's gonna miss like four weeks with an ankle injury or something and then like now we're seeing a day later folks like Christian McCaffrey's gonna miss four weeks and some other names that we weren't expecting to miss as much time so a lot of people gonna miss the season and a lot of people uh had catastrophic injuries and like I said, at halftime, I just remember saying to myself, yeah, we're down and like we we got a deficit to make up. And, you know, this is going to be a hard game to to come back from and beat the Titans. Like I was just just extremely happy that we didn't have any catastrophes. And then the next quarter, literally about 20 minutes later, Brandon Linder goes down. And for me, like, and you know, I try not to expect the worst. So I didn't, you know, I didn't register the worst. But at the same time, you know, you think about what ifs you know, and all of that, this, that, and the other. But, um, you know, the crazy thing about it is, and this is not to say Tyler Shatley necessarily played well, but the, the same series that Brandon Linder exited, the Jaguars scored through with the James Robinson rush on the ground. And I was like, wow, that's that's kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, Tyler Shatley is a guy that has like 15 games of starting experience. So if you're talking about backups that are started, you know, he, he has the starting experience there. That's not to say necessarily he's good, but look, who has good backup offensive linemen? A lot of teams don't have a good starting offensive line, let alone good backups. So, I mean, from an experience perspective, they can make do with Tyler Shatley. I think the the key is to uh, not rush Brandon Linder back, though, from this knee injury because you don't want to make anything worse. And 
losing for the season or what have you. So with the Bengals coming up and the yeah, Miami Dolphins coming up, you know, maybe you see the Jaguars rest them a couple weeks, which I would be fine with um, just so long as they win. But even so, um, I'm not a big fan of rushing him back, even if they end up losing those games, you know. So just take it slow with him, even if you have to sit him for some games that you end up losing that you're not supposed to lose. Yeah, I didn't even mention Christian McCaffrey, which, you know, of course, you know, we're talking about real people here. So uh, I know they get irritated when you bring up, you know, uh, as far as production when it comes to fantasy football. But Christian McCaffrey is was my number one pick for our league, you know. So, yeah, I totally forgot about him. He's going to be out four to six weeks. So, uh, you know, you just hope that you don't continue to see this and you wonder how uh, how much the uh, the lack of preseason has played into this and maybe the lack of conditioning, you know. But man, it was definitely a rough week around the league. Uh, but let's move on to the last part here, Jay, and that's giving out our game balls, which is something we're going to start doing here. Uh, last week, uh, of course, we gave our offensive game ball to Gardner Minshew. And then on the defensive side, it went to CJ Henderson. We got a couple of new guys here this week, though. Uh, for offense, how can we give it to anybody other than the rookie James Robinson? Again, just showing out 16 carries, 102 yards, and that touchdown. And he showed that burst, at least on the first level, right? I don't think he's going to have that breakaway speed that you see from some running backs, but he's going to be able to get to the second level because he has that shiftiness and that ability to just get to the next level. And I think, I mean, the argument can be made that maybe if uh, I, I believe, I can't remember who he ran into on that um, one of those runs where he wasn't able to outrun the secondary. But I think argument could have been made that he might have been able to score on that had he had a little bit more room. But, I mean, James Robinson continuing to impress. I, I expect him to turn a lot of heads this year. And, of course, we've been talking about him since day one. So offensive game ball goes to James Robinson. Yeah, on the, you know, the lack of speed. Me and you have talked about that. That's probably why he didn't get drafted, which, I mean, looking at it in hindsight, that's <laughs> – People made a big mistake there just looking at that element of speed. I think he ran a 4-6 at the Combine, and that might have scared some people. But as I was saying in May, despite the lack of speed, despite the lack of top-end speed, should I say, because the burst and acceleration is there on the second level, um, this is how I view that, Phil. I know you've seen that Stephen A. Smith meme where he's like, I don't care. I, or, or he said, no, actually, he says, we don't care. We just don't care. That's how I feel about people that say James Robinson lacks top end speed. I don't care. I really don't. If you could give me four to six yards to carry like he did and like he has done in the drives that he's been on the field, we're fine with that. He doesn't have to be a scoring machine. He just has to aid us into getting significant yards towards a first down. That's how you could be successful getting four yards on first down in four yards on second down. That always, just like we were saying with Gardner Minshew, that always puts you in position to win. A running attack like that always puts you in position to win and puts you in third and short. And you can pretty much open up the playbook at third and short. And that's pretty much what James Robinson can do. Um, so happy that uh, we're giving him the game ball. Uh, he's a guy that we've praised heavily. Uh, can't wait to see what the future holds for him because he's been very, very impressive. And obviously, this young man should have been drafted. Absolutely. He keeps making that case for me uh, ordering that James Robinson jersey. We'll see. How these guys, I already want a LaVisca jersey. I mean, I can't and listen. These these <laughs> these jerseys and the, the price is adding up. I don't know if I can afford it. But uh, that being said, move on to the defensive side uh, as far as uh, the game ball. And 
We're going to give this one to Miles Jack. He had a 91.1 PFF grade. I tweeted out last week, Jay, in the Colts game. This is kind of looking like Miles Jack of old. And then we saw even more of that here in week two. Look, man, it's just finally in a position where I think he's comfortable. And the signing of Joe Schobert, even if he doesn't have another Pro Bowl year, even as long as Joe Schobert is solid, if it results in Miles Jack having some Pro Bowl appearances and some All-Pros type seasons, then that shows that that signing was well worth the money. So Miles Jack getting our defensive game ball over on the other side of things. Yeah, man, he's been phenomenal. He's been simply phenomenal. And that's why, you know, I was, um, as I put, I think it was in the TC3 podcast with my man Darren. Shout outs to them. But that was that's why I was all team get Miles Jack the heck away from middle linebacker. Because I knew what he would offer at the weak side linebacker position. And he's given us that play uh, that we had there, you know, when Telvin Smith was here. And I know a lot of people don't like for us to mention that name or whatever the case may be because of what he's going through. But um, I'm just saying by comparison, you know, that's what they had in, you know, 2017. And Miles has played weak side linebacker as well um, in, in the past, and he's looked good at it. And obviously that's why people wanted to go back to it because they've seen what he could do at that position. But he's flying around to the ball. He is going to probably lead the team in tackles um, when we look back at this, which is a good thing. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, he probably shouldn't even got flat for that pass interference um, at the end of the game uh, that was so crucial into the Titans winning the game. So he's been doing his thing and, you know, he's not only is he, you know, doing his thing from a team captain standpoint, but he's in a position where he can do that and he can flourish and his play on the field can speak for being a team captain. Uh, which, you know, we didn't have last year. So good for Miles Jack. He absolutely deserves a game ball. We'll probably end up having to give him more game balls later down the road because, I mean, he's just simply been on fire. And ended the day in the uh, – I forgot what the score was, but he ended the day with the highest PFF grade in the 80s um, alongside uh, James O'Shaughnessy, who had the highest grade for the offense. Yeah, you just want to continue to to see him thrive in this defense and – uh, it's really, really great to see, you know, uh, we talked, of course, a lot about him in the off season and wondering if it was warranted for them to give him that contract. Well, this this season, he's he's proving that he is worth that money. I expect him to con- continue to have really big games, a uh, 40 gang man representing <laughs> where they're going to keep keep playing well. Uh, you saw, of course, Showbert and, and Miles Jack and Caleb on play. We just need Josh Allen to get going. And, uh, you know, we can get those T-shirts made. So, uh, but yeah, guys, that's it. We wanted to cover this game. You know, of course, we wanted to come away with a win. But again, I think a lot of optimism in this fan base based on how at least the offensive side of things, uh, how that went. You know, we have a couple of teams that are kind of kind of like us trying to figure out exactly who they are. Of course, we have Thursday Night Football, as we've mentioned, against the Miami Dolphins. And then they have the Cincinnati Bengals, who are led by the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow, who in the first two weeks hasn't looked that bad uh, as far as what he's been able to do. So it'll be interesting to see how those teams match up. But, Jay, we're going to move on to Miami here in just a couple of days. Uh, before we get out of here, anything else you want to let the people know before we wrap it up on uh, on this Monday episode? Nah, man, we're just going to get people ready as best as we can on a short week. It's not easy for journalists on a short week, um, especially when you're covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, who just, despite not being a good team necessarily, they stay in the news, you know? So uh, we're going to do our best. Uh, we're going to have on a guest as well 
uh, to talk on the Dolphins as well. We'll try to get that up by Wednesday for you all. I'll probably do uh, today, which is Monday. I'll probably spend the day doing takeaways from the game that we just played on Sunday, obviously. And uh, then we'll start trending towards, you know, the Miami Dolphins news and looking at them. And uh, we'll probably go behind enemy lines on Jaguars Wire as well. Um, I'll reach out to my man, uh, Kyle Krabs, who is the managing editor over there. Brilliant draft mind. People probably know Kyle more from Draft Network than the uh, Dolphins Wire. So we'll reach out to Kyle and, uh, you know, we'll do that as well. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the Jaguars can get everybody healthy and we can get trending in the right direction and go two and one against the Dolphins. That's right, guys. Remember, I mentioned this on last week's episode with Believe in the Titans. Even though they, you know, they did lose this game, they are going to be one and one. They have a chance to rattle off a couple of wins here. And Tennessee's schedule is pretty brutal. I'm pretty sure they play the Vikings, the um, the Ravens, and then I think maybe the Steelers. And they have three tough games in a row. So the Jaguars still have an opportunity here to gain a little bit of ground. Yes, they lose a divisional game, but they have another shot at them later in the year. Uh, so, of course, guys, remember, if you are enjoying the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop that five-star review. Also, check us out on subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Again, you can tweet the show with any questions or just follow us in general, Believe in Jags Pod. I'm over at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay, you can find it at SportsGrind underscore Don. And of course, make sure you're checking out the Jaguars Wire via USA Today for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguar news. This has been another episode of Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We will see you guys here in the next couple of days. We believe. Do you? Yes, we say. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.